folks, welcome to the Seven Figure Network Podcast. My name is Melford Bibbins, and today I'm joined by Josh Higginbotham. And Josh and I just had like a 20 minute conversation. So it's also, you guys know, I always, I always let you guys in, you're part of the team. But we just had such an awesome conversation because Josh has been in the industry for a long time and has really studied the way companies work. That's one of the reasons why I love getting smart guys on the phone, like Josh while on the phone on Zoom, sorry. Um, I'm not, I don't edit stuff out, Josh. I, when I make a mistake, I roll them small. Exactly. Once the red button's going, we're psyched. So Josh and I just had a great conversation. So I'm really excited to talk to him about a lot of stuff that's been happening in the industry before this, and especially what's happening now. You guys know that the most important thing we can discuss on this podcast is what works today. And we've literally just had an awesome 10 minute conversation about that. So, hey, first and foremost, Josh, thanks so much for being on today, but I appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Melford. Excited to be here. So, but I got to ask, what actually drove you into the industry in the first place? Like, what made you do that first credit card swipe in network marketing? You know, I mean, it's actually funny. I don't even tell this part of my story most times, but when I was 21 years old, newly married, you know, decided to drop out of college to start my first internet company back in 1995, 96. Oh, nice. And a buddy buddy of mine started pitching me Amway. And... I did it. I jumped in. I bought the $150 kit. Um, I started, you know, going to some of the meetings. And and it's interesting because I didn't continue that path. I did okay in Amway, but I was I was really more intrigued with the books and tapes and the stories. And um, I actually stayed on their book and tape program for 10 years, kept paying the money every month, had the books and tapes show up for 10 years. And, you know, at the time I didn't continue in network marketing, but that education that I got in network marketing helped me build my first internet company, helped me build, you know, a real estate company, um, several other things I did. And then I got back into the industry in 2005 and it was really a a kind of a Saul to Paul moment for you uh, Bible reading people out there. And for the rest of you, don't worry. It's, it, it basically means I used to talk crap about the industry and tell people not to do it. And it was a scam and um, really got educated and um, absolutely love our business model and, you know, love sharing what we do with people. Man, I, I love the fact that you mentioned Amway because it's so funny that like Amway is the butt of jokes who don't understand what network marketing is. Yeah. Amway is the butt of jokes of people who don't know how to run a real business. I mean, it's like, you know, A, they've been around for 80, you know, close to 80 years. You know, I, I live in Florida. You know, you go to Orlando and you see a huge center with Amway written on the side of it. I mean, come on. When, when you can afford to build a stadium, I think you're doing something right. Was, I was joking with somebody the other day about that, that every time I hear somebody poke fun at Amway, I'm like, man, you just don't get how network marketing, that more industry between, okay, here you go, between Amway and Herbalife. Let's all be honest with each other. Those two companies and, you know, Larry and Taylor Thompson and that whole crew that did that whole thing, like they set the stage for everything we do. And even for folks like Conchetta and me, I mean, you know, Josh and I were talking about the fact that Conchetta and me have always been B2B. You know, we did, we never really did the whole, you know, friends and family thing and all that kind of stuff, but we still tailored a lot of our training, especially team training around what those folks did. Yeah. So, well, you know, it's interesting, Melford, talking mm -hmm. about Amway real quick. Um, One of the things that I, when I talk to, you know, executives and I've worked with, you know, a lot of different companies in our industry either on the distributor side or been an executive or help consult with companies, you know, and I go into these network marketing companies and I'm like, all right, what are we doing different than an Amway or somebody else? Because I really feel like we're the only industry in the world where the big dog that started 80 years ago is still the big dog. And that says something about our industry, right? 
Because in most other industries in the world, there's innovation, there's new things coming to the table, and there's always someone passing someone else up. Why hasn't that happened in network marketing for 80 years? That's such a great point. And, and something you mentioned that, that I really want to talk about a little bit more, because again, you and I were talking about a little bit before, is that most, not most, some network marketing companies right now are missing their USP. You know, they're missing their unique selling proposition. They're, they're, they're trying to fall lockstep into what they thought worked. And that's so antithetic to what Amway did in those companies. Like what they do still works. It works in a certain strata, but it still works. So, so let, let's go in for a little bit and let's talk about, you know, the fact that this industry has kind of become a little vanilla. You and I had a really cool conversation about that before that, you know, when you're looking for a new company and, you know, not even talking about, you know, I know you've got a new launch coming up. And we're going to talk about that as well. Of course, I'm so excited for you, but, you know, for folks right now that are, I've at a point of transition, or they found this podcast because they're thinking about getting into network marketing. You know, what are some of the things that you look for today in a network marketing company that sets them apart? Again, we had this awesome conversation about sort of the, the vanilla nature of what's coming on these days. How, how are you breaking out of the vanilla and becoming Rocky Road? What what how do you find a Rocky Road company? I guess is my question. Well, well, real quick, you know, you got to know what not to what not to look for or what to you know look for that you don't want, right? And and sometimes people, you know. I know people will watch this and it's like, oh, you know, either you love your company right now or, you know, you're looking for something else, right? You're you're going to be in one of those two situations. And one message I got to say to some of you is you need to just sit tight, keep learning, keep developing your skills. I've seen so many people, even in my case, where most of the times that I've had to move our company quit on us and or made a drastic change in the comp plan that kind of forced us to go look for something else. It really wasn't because we were failing. It was usually a decision made on the company side. But, you know, for most people that are watching this, you know, the, the thing to know is we always, the, the common denominator with every build that we do is us, right? And so many people think that going to the new thing, the new product, the new whatever, and somebody pitched you and maybe you're mad at your upline right now and you don't feel like you're getting enough support and, you know, and, and so you're open to looking at something else. And, you know, if there's anything I can say after 20 years of being in this industry, the most successful people I know are sometimes in the most boring companies, you know, or what I would consider to be boring. They definitely don't have a new flashy, shining object, but they have been there for a long time and they've built an incredible customer base and they've got massive teams all over the world and they're making, they're consistently growing their income instead of, what a lot of people do is they bounce to a new thing and they don't realize they lose all of this credibility that they've built, all these relationships that they've built in hopes that this new thing is going to be bigger, better. And a lot of times it's not, you know, and then those same people get frustrated and jump out of the industry and say, oh, this doesn't work, you know. And, and so that that's kind of the elephant in the room I think we've always got to talk about is stop looking at the new shiny object, you know, and and trying to jump to the new thing, you know. If you've got a legitimate reason, you know, of why to move, if there's something the company's doing that, you know, you just can't introduce people to it anymore. I understand that. I've I've gotten to those times before. Um, then, you know, you got to keep integrity because, you, you know, you won't have success unless that belief is there in what you're doing. Thank you so much for, for mentioning the fact that it's personal whether you're successful or not. It, it doesn't matter what company you're in. I mean, it, it, again, you you and I being entrepreneurs from way back, you know, before network marketing and everything else, you know, it really comes down to, you know, finding an audience that has a need for your product. 
It doesn't have to be, and your product can be your opportunity. I mean, don't think when I say product, I mean, pills, potions, juice, you know, juice, whatever it is, it's really whatever you've got to offer. But, you know, it seems as though folks get so caught up in, like you said, the, the shiny new product, you know, what's being released at convention, you know, why did, how is this company releasing a new collagen and we're not, all this other kind of stuff is out there. And it, it stops people from taking personal responsibility and the fact that you need to be a sales professional. Or a service, you know, whatever term you want to use, you can be a service professional, you know, whatever term makes you feel good. But one way or another, at the end of the day, you are being a salesperson for an opportunity or a product. And if you're serving the right people, it shouldn't really matter what you're serving because you found an audience that's hungry for it. Where do you where do you lack success when you don't find an audience hungry for your product? When you pitch yeah. people that have no need for it, no desire for it, that's how you irritate people, guys. Please understand this. I'm, I'm not trying to get on my soapbox and be like a big pain in the ass grandpa here, but it's it's one of those things where, you know, so often, and you've heard it probably a thousand times, you know, oh, this isn't working for me. Well, who'd you try and serve? <laughs> you know? So, well, you know, it, it's that whole conversation of even why I got reinterested in network marketing. I mean, mm-hmm. I got an education from a company and an upline you know, that had put great systems in place to educate people on how to change their thinking, Mm. you know, and that's that Amway books and tapes program that I listened to and read the book every month. There was no one else in business, no other, it's, it's, it's more prominent today, but back then, you know, when I was talking to other uh, owners of, of, uh, of internet companies or whatever, it wasn't like we were sitting down going, what book are you reading right now? You know, it was totally different conversation about coding and where the internet was going and whatever. So I do love that part of, of network marketing, that constant, you know, I think, you know, a lot of people say this, I love the same, but, you know, network marketing is a personal development program with a paycheck, right? But if you, if you show up and you have the attitude of, man, I'm going to grow here, I'm going to learn some new skills, I'm going to get better at something. And that's something, Melford, you know, I love talking to people about, because a lot of people, when we confront something that gets hard. You know, most of us are conditioned over time to just quit or go try to find the easy thing. And that's usually not the right path. You know, usually when something gets a little tough or a little hard, that's where we need to go inside, grow ourselves and get to that next level. And there, and, and again, part of the problem in this industry, you know, it's like if you were launching a company and I'm launching a company, Melford, one of the big problems in our industry is you know, so many people are going to go and say, oh, don't go join Melford's company. Their product sucks and their comp plan sucks. And, you know, and we're in the same industry. We should be cheering each other on, you know, trying to grow this thing and and really building relationships. Um, you know, and a final thought on that that I just love talking about is, I mean, imagine if I'm friends with you or I get to know you and you're, you know, and you're rah-rah about, you know, whatever company. And, um, you know, and you just think it's the greatest thing ever. And here I come to you and go, yeah, but this thing's better, you know, and it'd be like me coming to you, Melford, and going, man, your wife's great, but I'm telling you right now, I've got this other lady you have got to meet. You guys are going to hit it off. And I feel like that, you know, we're out there like trying to get people to divorce something that they're excited about so that we can benefit. And we use all kinds of manipulative tricks to do that. And I, I think that's part of what is wrong with our industry. And we've just got to, we got to get over that quick if we're going to grow. Yeah, no, that's the, the, the feeling of camaraderie, I think is so important. And, uh, and one point, remember that Conchetta is Sicilian. So you do not want to ever talk about me getting hooked up with another wife. Cause that won't go well. <laughs> so <laughs> when you got a Sicilian wife, you watch what you say. <laughs> but you know, to your, to your question, Melford. Yeah. What do I look for today? 
right mm-hmm. today. So we know what we know what to not do. I think a lot of us in the industry we we know what we don't want. Um, but what I do want is I'm looking at this influencer world right now and going. Every brand in the world is trying to figure out how to tap into this thing that's happening, you know, and it's not the Kardashians anymore. It's not the big names. It's starting to come down to just regular everyday people. More and more companies have rewards plans. I mean, think about when you check out now, even from big brands like a Nordstrom's and right there, it's like, you want to share? Do you want to get points? Do you want to, you know, they're, they're all trying to figure out even network marketing, like what do we offer people and what do we do to build a relationship with a client or a customer that would then have them in turn turn around and tell someone else about us, right? And I think making that simpler, making it quicker, Shopifying it, if you will, really is the future of direct sales network marketing. And I think the fact that there's going to be more competition, one one tier, one level, you know, you go do sales, you make money from a brand, you know, but right now the influencer sales in the world is bigger than the entire network marketing industry. And they're saying that it's going to go to trillions of dollars that are going to change hands because of an influencer being in between a company and a transaction. And so that's what I'm looking for right now in network marketing. What companies are taking advantage of those trends and really setting themselves up to play in the future of how products are going to move hands? Yeah, it's funny. I was I was having a conversation with this with uh, Kevin Crandall the other day, and we were talking about influencers, micro, macro influencers, that sort of thing. And and I'm so glad you mentioned that point because it's really a double-edged sword. And a lot of folks don't understand what that second edge is. So, you know, you've got the edge where, yes, you've got this influencer, they might have. So we'll talk big influencers first, and then we'll go down to the to the smart way of doing this. <laughs> so the, so the, the quote-unquote dumb way, and again, I don't know everything. Please believe me, I'm not trying to act like I know everything. But, you know, the, the quote-unquote dumb way to do this is assuming that a massive influencer is not just waiting for the next higher paycheck to determine what they're going to influence people with. So, you know, if you are out there and you're part of, you know, X company and you find, you know, we'll use Kardashian, even though it's, you know, kind of a silly example, but somebody who's ridiculously, you know, popular, if you pay them, coerce them, whatever them into supporting your product, understand that there's somebody standing right behind you with a $5 higher paycheck. That's exactly and if, right. And now where where does the negative part come in? The, the bad side of the sword is now that now your product has been belittled by the next one behind it. So you can say, you know, my my gel, you know, my HGH gel is the most amazing thing in the world. And I just paid, you know, $10,000 to this influencer to push it. Somebody comes behind me with $10,001 and says, oh, no, my HGH gel is the best or my vitamin C is better than HGH or whatever it is. That just yep. instantly makes your product worthless. And I don't think people realize yep. that, that, you know, a, a, an influencer can scream from the mountaintop about how great your product is until the next one comes that's competing with your product and they paid them more. So, so the, the big influencer game, guys, please. And again, I'm not trying to act like I know everything, but agree with you. Yeah. But, but please, you know, I, I just want people to understand, like, please don't waste your time trying to talk to massive influencers. If you've seen that they jump product, if they change products, like they change their underwear, that is not an influencer. That's a salesperson who's screaming at an audience. And that's, uh, boy, I never thought about that. That's kind of a cool definition. Like that just, that just popped into my head that, uh, you know, these, it's, you're not, they're not creating influence. They're just selling the next thing they get paid more for. So, you know, that's the, the what I consider to be the almost, and I hate the fact that I'm taking over the podcast. Sorry, but, <laughs> but, but I will have more questions. I promise. But, but now talking about what you said, the, the micro and macro influencers, they, typically have a track record of sticking with products 
because mm. they because they actually used it. Guys, believe me, when you when you hire some huge influencer, they're not taking your product. They could give yeah. two poops about whether your product works or not. They care if your check goes through, period. Yep. When you've got a micro or macro influencer, especially somebody who's in a group specific to an ailment, they are trying your product. And if it doesn't work, they're not going to represent it, which is amazing that you do not want influencers promoting your product if it doesn't work for them because they're never going to do it right. It'll it'll be sales then instead of promotion. So so can we talk about that for a second? Because I, I know you're you're nodding yeah. your head because you completely buy into what you know, like I'm, I'm kind of like figuring this out myself here. <laughs> so this is kind of cool. You know. So what are you looking for when when you're because you said you're you're on the hunt now? Like what would you say would be a good um, protocol, if you will, for how to pick up an influencer and get them engaged with you? Well, you know, and again, it it's it's almost redefining influencer. Mm. You know, is what you're saying. You know, and and I, and I think. You know, the influencers, those big people, Kardashians, they've hijacked a word. And this happens a lot in marketing, right? They hijack a word, they create, they turn it into something. And I almost feel like we got to take that word back because all of us have influence, you know, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, whatever, everyone's got some sort of following. Everyone's got people that know you, like you, and trust you. And I think, you know, Melford, one of the topics here is I I don't want to go teach people just to go spam their friends and spam that that's the part of network marketing. I think people get turned off to, but if I've got something that I've fallen in love with and it really is making a difference for me, this is the future of influencing. The future of influencing is, you know, and we, we even, we teach a system called love, share, grow, you know, like who do you love? Who do you care about? Go share it with them. And then the grow part, a lot of people think go grow your business. No, go keep growing yourself because you become more attractive in that. And, and what, when we talk about growth, I want to help you grow your audience. I want to help you grow your influence. I want to help you grow yourself because all of that, instead of going and branding your new company and talking about your new company all over the place or your 20 year old company, whatever it is, um, you know, you, you need the, today's world is go grow your brand, go grow your influence. And, and I think that's the shift in the future is really, taking someone that could never see themselves as being an influencer or never would see themselves as having a following. And how do we teach them how to go and grow that? And last point on that, Melford, is how do you do it in the real world and online? Because I think so many companies and so many people are, you know, almost trying to recruit nowadays and saying like, oh, it's so easy. We just teach you how to build influence online. And we're going to show you how to, you don't even have to talk to your friends and you don't even have to talk. That is such BS, right? I mean, and, and I'm tired of that kind of crap in our industry, you know? Like, I understand marketing. I understand, you know, we need to go. I mean, if we really all went out and said, hey, look, here's the deal. 99% of people that come in here fail. You know, you may be one of the one percenters. Let's see. You know, if we went if we went to the market with that story, that's not going to work. <laughs> So we got to, there's got to be a balance here. We yeah. can't keep lying to people to try to get them excited to come in and buy the big kit and go sling product. And we know that most of them aren't going to be successful. So I think that whole part of the game has got to change. You know, one of the other things that I look for is um, requirements. Hmm. You know, I think this is one of the dumbest things in network marketing. Hey, Melford, go sell for us. And even if you're doing 300,000 a month in sales or whatever, you have to keep buying our product or we're not going to send you a check, you know? And a lot of them have the little gimmick of like, or you could have customers, 
you know, and they try to get around it that way. But what do most people end up doing? They end up being part of that internal consumption. Mm -hmm. And I really think, you know, that one thing now I love subscribe and save. I mean, Mm -hmm. Amazon does it. So the fact that the network marketing industry has been part of kind of creating that whole auto ship world's cool mm-hmm. on one hand, because yeah. I do think that it's part of the future as well. And mm-hmm. now it's being adopted. You know, I mean, you can subscribe and save at Walmart now. Exactly. Right? I mean, Target, right? Like who would have thought that there'd be auto ships at Walmart back in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. But so, so that part of our model, I think, has proven to be successful. But the reason why people do it in network marketing is the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm only buying the product so I can keep my check coming in, there's a big problem there. And I understand why the government has a problem with it or anyone else, because it doesn't make sense. You know, now I want to be part of a company where I want to buy the product. Mm -hmm. I want to use it and then I want to turn around. But there's something to be said when you have to buy it versus Hey, I really want to be here. I want to buy the product. And so that's another thing I look for is just getting rid of all those old school requirements. You bring sales to our company, you're going to get a paycheck. Yeah. You know, and then the company's kind of forced to keep putting out amazing products because they even know mm-hmm. if we just put out crap or we just put out me too stuff. Yeah. And and we and we don't have requirements that people have to buy it to get their check you know, we better put out good products. So I think it really creates an alignment that I haven't seen in the industry very much. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's part of the way forward. Yeah, I, I'm so happy that you talked about the evolution of the other industries as well. Because, you know, we always joke about, you know, you've got a gym membership, you know, so what's the difference? But but now, I mean, Amazon, biggest friggin' sales company on the unit, you know, ever thought to be, you know, nobody even thought yep. there'd be a company that big, has the same thing built in, you know, Walmart, who used to be the biggest company everybody ever thought would be, same thing built in. You mentioned something that I found very interesting. You are empowering people to become influencers. And I, I love that. That's that's a that's a, a strategy you have for building. Can you go into that for a little bit? Can you go into because I because I love, I mean, we've been talking about a lot of awesome theory. I'd love to have a couple of action steps, if you will, for how does the average person become one of these micro or macro influencers to in turn blow up their business? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously, the first thing starts off with just desire, right? I mean, you got to want to do something different with your life. And in our convenience world, push a button and get everything. There's still some things that you can't push a button and change. You can't push a button and change your weight. You can't push a button and change your intelligence. You can't push a button, you know, and change your bank account. So there are still some areas in life where convenience and, you know, this new get it fast world just are colliding, right? And people want quick income, they want, you know, all these things, but still these old school principles of, you know, planting a seed, letting it grow, getting through harvest, you know, like there's a process to doing this. So that's the first thing we really help people understand is what's your desire? Where do you want to go? What do you want to create with this? And a lot of times it's small steps, you know, geez, if I can make an extra $500 or if I can make a, you know, an extra whatever, so that's kind of the first step always. And I think that's interesting because that's the what the industry's always taught, you know, like what is your why? What is, you know, what are you going to do with this? Second step, though, is a little bit different than what we've done in the past, because usually the second step was make your list, <laughs> right? And that's where I think the world's changing. I mean, I don't think you have to go pester your friends and family. You know, I love my product. We were about to kind of head out of the industry and go build a a training, you know, teaching company. And then we found a new product that 
pulled us back in because it's just working so well, made a huge difference for my wife and I, and we just felt so compelled to go and share it. So I think that's got to be part of your story as well. But once you get to that point, now th- this new world is so cool. And it's, again, similar to what we've done in the past, but very different. But you got to just document your story and go and share that story. And what I still see so many people doing, and you know, in your past company, you know, still so many people try to put on the white lab coat and go be a doctor and go cure everybody, you know, and the more we can help people get out of that business and just stick to their story. You know, we, we started something called story sellers, um, you know, and really just teaching that process of like documenting, you know, if, if you've got a great product and more products coming, how'd you look and where were you day one? And where are you at 30 days in, 60 days in, 90 days in? Where are you at a year in, two years in, three years in? And if you if you can get into a situation where you're really documenting that progress, you know, and, and who you're around and who you're becoming, you're on a path of really bettering yourself. Then we can take that and turn it into income, you know? And, and that part becomes simpler than you can imagine. I, you know, we've literally taken people that have, you know, hundreds of friends on Facebook and social media. And with today's technology, whether it's reels or TikTok or, you know, those types of things created massive audiences in a very short period of time. And, you know, Melford, that's something you couldn't do back before social media and the internet. You know, I mean, talking back to Amway, I, I was in, I was in Nordstrom's in uh, South Coast Plaza two years ago two and a half years ago, right before COVID. So I'm there in Orange County, California, South Coast Plaza. It's one of the highest end malls. I'm in the I'm in the Nordstrom store and this couple is kind of cruising around the shoe section and I'm watching them because I'm like, they have got to be Amway reps. They have to be. And I literally, I go up to them and I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, and they're like, oh, we're kind of looking at shoes, but... You know, and I'm like, cool. you know, I literally like flipped the whole script on him, you know, and I'm like, so what do you, what are you here for? You know, yada, yada, where are you from? And I, I do the whole kind of, and they're like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, I'm just like you. I'm in the network marketing industry. <laughs> and they're like, how did you know? I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, you're doing the oldest school thing in the book, you know? So the fact that we don't have to send people to the mall anymore to the higher end stores to go try to network and go try to meet people or to high end restaurants to go and meet people. That's a game changer in today's world. And, you know, I really think it opens up who could be successful in this type of industry, um, which is really cool. You, you definitely put the ball in the tee for me here because I've been dying to ask you about this. And I've, I've been blessed to have a few folks on here who are in the midst of launching a new company. I know you're doing the same thing. You're in the midst of launching a new company. So let's continue that conversation into now it's just not, you know, you're launching your own brand. You're launching. What's going into launching a new company today? I mean, you guys are literally starting from scratch. You are spearheading this thing. We were just joking about the fact you're going to be here in a month because you guys are doing your big launch party. And I'm so excited for it. But uh, tell me a little bit about what's going on today as far as launching a new company. What are what are the obstacles? I mean, I think we both can say that this is one of the greatest times ever in network marketing. I mean, this is just it. It ain't going to get any easier than this, guys. So, you know, run with the ball. If you want to do network marketing, run with the ball now because it ain't getting any easier. But do me a favor and let's talk a little bit about, you know, what goes into launching a fresh company right now. 
Yeah, you know, on one hand, it's easier than ever, you know, but one of the things that I see in a lot of network marketing companies is I say, you know, a lot of them, you know, they start in Utah or Dallas Mm -hmm. or wherever. And it's kind of like they go to the home, you know, they're like, you know, you think about how most companies are started. It's like we find a product, we find an invention, we create something ourselves, and now we got to figure out how to take it to market. It seems like in network marketing, most of these companies that are starting now, they go to the Home Depot of products for network marketing and they're, all right, we want a coffee or we want a collagen or we want skincare or we want this, you know, and they, all right, we'll take that. And they private label it. And then they go to the, the Home Depot of back offices and compensation plans. And well, we want to be like that company, but a little bit different, you know? So I think one of the things you've got to do today is you really have got to have something unique. You know, I think consumers and people are kind of tired of, you know, the same old stuff. So you you really got to do something different. I think the other thing that you've got to do in today's world, you know, and we were talking about this in our leading to the podcast, but I've always said that I think network marketing should be called network sales, not network marketing. And I think that's something that these network marketing companies have really got to understand and shift is companies have got to do a better job with customer acquisition and customer retention. They've got to become better marketers because you got all the you got this army out there bringing you people, and when the company puts the onus back on that rep to manage that relationship, it's always going to go bad because that rep isn't trained in customer support or you know, and a lot of times they have another job or they got families or they got other things, and so that's something I look for too. Is is the company setting itself up? to handle the relationships that we bring to the company? And are they going to do a good job of that? Um, Or are they going to have a big expectation that I'm managing that relationship? And for me personally, that's not the type of business I'm trying to get into. I want to recommend products to people, get them buying them. And then the company does a great job, you know, taking that relationship on. And that's important too, Melford, in today's world, because there's a lot of people that are buying people's products nowadays where you don't have that personal relationship anymore. Um, I can go develop it over time, but, you know, geez, somebody probably saw my reel and clicked on a link and went and bought my product, you know? And so now I'm building a relationship with them after they shopped, where in old school network marketing, there was always a relationship there first that I was building, then they purchased. That's not the case always today. And I don't think that's going to be the case in the future. That is such a great point. I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say it that way before. That was a really cool point about the sort of the paradigm shift in the way this market is now is a lot of folks are buying. I mean, because it was always back in the old days, you didn't buy uh, network marketing products off an ad or off a real. I mean, you had to meet somebody, you had to go through the whole process, you know, home party. You you had to jump through hoops. It was was kind of funny. Like you had to jump through hoops to buy products where now it's exactly the opposite. You can get people to buy products and then you kind of have to, you have to jump through a couple of hoops to, to get that relationship built up. Yeah. I want to know if you were starting again today, and, and we've kind of danced around this a little bit throughout the call, but but I'd really love to give you know folks one, two, three steps out of your big brain. If you were starting today, if you if you literally just swiped your credit card and got your very first kit ordered, it hasn't even shown up yet. What would be the first one, two, three? I'm not going to let me as many as you want. Things that you would do if you were brand new in this market today. So you know, I'll let you still have your brain, but you can't have your list anymore. You can't have your product knowledge. You can't have any of that. You're brand new to this industry, but you're a smart entrepreneur because I can't. I'm, I would feel rude taking that away from you. But you are brand new. What, what would? How would you start out? What What would be your first couple, two, three steps? Well, before the three steps, number one, 
you know, I do still think there's a lot of people that are joining companies because they see a pitch and they join the company before they ever try the product. And that, that to me, it's just a money game at that point. You know, it's like, oh, okay, so-and-so is making 20 grand a month. So-and-so is doing really well. And my, you know, I've built huge teams before, been blessed twice to have teams well over 100,000 people and, you know, and several other smaller builds in the 20s and 30,000s of people. So, you know, never done it small in this industry. And seeing that and doing it in multiple countries, what I find to be one of the biggest problems in network marketing is when you join for the money. That's your, that, If that's your whole impetus, and if you as a leader are getting people in because of the money, you're always going to be rebuilding your business. You know, you, you've got to have a solid customer base. And I'm, I'm seeing this more and more. And so that'd be, you know, probably, probably step one for me would be making sure that I love this product. I'm using it. I'm consuming it. And then I'm helping other people become consumers first. And it always seems like a slower path because everybody's like, yeah, but if you get the big kit and you do this and you do that. Well, I've run the math, Melford, and, you know, out of every hundred people I used to talk to, and I'm pretty good at this, maybe I'd get 10 people to join me in the business when I was doing a business pitch. Now, out of every hundred people I talk to, I'll get 30 to 40, maybe even as high as 50 customers that jump on board, you know. And then from there, you know, and we've got a mechanism where then they could get it for free. And, you know, and then you're having the quick conversation of like, hey, by the way, the company has a way that you can get paid. You want that check coming to me or going to you? Some of the old school, you know, questions that still work. Um, but but that, that would be my number one focus is, is that product highly consumable? Is it priced right? You know, is it something that a consumer would buy? with or without a compensation plan. And if that doesn't exist in the beginning, I think you're dead in the water. You are joining a money game. And I don't think you're going to have a long-term you know, company. The company might be around for a long time, but is it really going to go and be something big that's going to go compete with an Amway? I, no. And I think that's been part of the problem in the industry is so many of these pitches are focused on how much money can pe- people can make versus is the product priced right and positioned right in the marketplace. That's number one for me. Yeah. Number two then is, um, number two step, this sounds really weird because most people again are like, you're why, you're whatever. I'm immediately into what are you reading? What are you doing every day? What's that daily thing that you're doing that's growing and expanding your mind? You know, and you'll think this is really weird, Melford, because in my first three steps, I'm not even getting to, talking to anyone about your product or anyone about your thing. Because this is what I've learned, you know, over trial and error for years, you know, if I can't get someone to think different and and start switching their mindset, no amount of marketing or sales tactics that I'm going to go teach them are going to help them overcome what's going on in their mind, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza and other people that have been studying the brain for a long time say that by the time we're 35 years old, We are pretty much locked and loaded on the subconscious nature of how we make decisions, Mm -hmm. you know, where if I say something to you right now and it's, you know, whatever over the years you've built this belief and you've got this memorized emotion that you don't even control anymore. It's on automatic Mm -hmm. pilot. It's just, this is how Melford responds when this thing happens, right? (laughs) Like this is it. It's baked. Can it change? Yes, but it's actually really hard Mm -hmm. and you have to intentionally want to rewire that part of your body. And so 
anyway, this sounds really weird, but that's one of the first things I'm always looking at is how do I help people overcome that battlefield of the mind mm-hmm. so that they can get themselves out of the way and start to have some success in the business that we're going to teach them how to go build. That's brilliant. And again, and you said most other folks don't talk that way, which is why I love asking that question. I mean, it's so funny. It's like, if you know me well enough to know, it's one of the few like questions I ask every time. <laughs> my, my podcast never have any preconceived questions. We never know where it's going to go. It's just going to be a cool conversation. But I love asking that, what would you do to restart today question? Because, you know, that's an answer I haven't gotten is really starting with that personal development and getting your head right and, and mentioning Dr. Joe. Great thinking. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's it's such a valid point. It's funny. I'm reading a book right now called Release the Breaks. And uh, it's an old school book. I don't know if it's like from the 60s or 50s. It's kind of an older one. But it's exactly that. It's a it's a big, thick manual on the fact that it's really hard to reprogram what you've been taught as a kid, because when you're a kid, you just absorb it. You know, when you're yeah. even in your 20s, you know, you're still at that point of just absorption. So, you know, learning is so easy. Once you pass that point of being 30, 35 years old, learning is no longer easy because so much of this thing has been put polluted, quote unquote, by previous thought. Everything has a filter on it. So I'm so glad yeah. you mentioned that point. Hey, um, it's funny. So what a, real quick, uh, just adding on that and for anybody watching this, Please. something great, a great challenge for you. You know, anybody watching this, um, a good friend of ours challenged us to listen to um, Earl Nightingale has an oh. old school recording. Four, fourteen minutes. Yeah, it's called The Magic Word. OK, it's 14 minutes long. Go listen to that for 30 days, 30 days. Listen to that 14 minutes for 30 days. And see what happens at the end of 30 days. So that's actually part of our onboarding system is, I, I don't know, I think we've only had one or two people out of thousands that have joined us that have actually completed the full 30 days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something we encourage because the magic word is attitude, you know, and it's ah. not how the world treats us. Mm-hmm. It's our attitude towards the world. And, you know, Jim Rohn and other great philosophers and, and trainers always, you know, Jim Rohn always said, it's not the direction of the wind, it's the set of your sail. Mm-hmm. And all of that comes back to what can I control versus what, what don't I control? Yeah. And so many people in this victim mentality world are always, are, you know, we, we've been trained or we've allowed ourselves to be trained to find what's going wrong instead of focus on what's going right. Yeah. You know, and they've done mind mapping, you know, and they go, okay, out of all the 80 something thousand thoughts we have a day, how many of them are positive towards ourselves, towards other people? Mm-hmm. It's less than 8%, you know, on the average person, less than 8% of these 80 to 90,000 thoughts we have a day are positive, are reinforcing who we are and what our beliefs are and where we want to go or, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's something we have to really focus on and overcome and really spend some time on or the likelihood of you getting to where you want to go in life is really low. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you said that. I've, I've got a dear friend. Um, his name is Ben Azadi and he's a real famous keto coach. He like travels all over America and speaks at all these conferences. And he always ends this conversation with saying the most important supplement I can ever tell you about is vitamin G. And everybody goes, vitamin G. I never heard it. You know, and this is like a biohack thing. So like, oh my God, vitamin G, what's this new thing that got released? Gratitude. Pure and simple. He said, no matter what else you do, if you take your daily dose of, and Ben, I'm, I hope Ben's watching this because he's a beautiful guy. Ben, I'm, I love still, him and, I'm still in vitamin G. I love that. That's It's, uh, it's amazing. When he told me that, it lit, I mean, I, I swear to God, it, like I took pause. I'm like, wow. Like I, I'm actually getting goosebumps right now thinking about the very first time Ben introduced me to that theory. And it's that's his thing. I mean, he stands in front of sta- on stage in front of 
tens of thousands of people, like, you know, huge conferences, the whole deal. And he always ends it with just make sure you get your daily dose of vitamin G. And that's, I I just, I'm so glad that you spoke about that point. And thank you for mentioning Earl Nightingale. I bet there's, I bet at least half the people on this call right now have no idea who that is. Guys, please, for your sake, Google Earl Nightingale, Google anything to do with Nightingale training. Um, and Jim Rohn, my, my two favorite old school guys that have changed this knucklehead around like nobody's business. I was a very different guy before I started reading and listening to this book. So thank you so much for mentioning those. Hey, I, I think I might know the answer to this one, but I got to ask anyways, what is your six month goal? Well, you know, what's interesting is my six month goals used to be around income or, you know, whatever else. So now it's more personal stuff, you know, because so, you know, one of my big six month goals right now is I've got, you know, a, a book idea that I've been working on. And it's so funny because it's not even about for me, it's not about getting the book out and having ever anyone else buy it or mm-hmm. see it. It really is just this personal thing of the work that I'm having to do to get the idea out and then put it on paper mm-hmm. is really creating a new discipline within me and, um, and, and changing the way I think on some things. So those are my goals now is like setting these projects, you know, having these things that uh, really are going to shape me and change me. Another big six month goal I have, I used to play the guitar a lot. Um, so over the next six months, you know, I'm picking up the guitar again, mm-hmm. scheduling in, you know, lessons every week. So these are these are kind of funny in a way, because I know it's not probably what you're looking for. But what I've found, Melford, is the more I go develop myself in other areas, the more well-rounded you become, the more, you know, and it, and it is this when people talk about law of attraction, you know, you got to go become attractive. You know, if you're, if you're in the marketing world and you're in the business world, why do people buy what JLo recommends or why do people buy what so-and-so recommends? They see them as an attractive person. They want to look like them. They want to have their life. They want to, you know, and, um, and then I'd say the other thing for me is, um, you know, I started out in network marketing and in business as a guy that never knew how to, you know, manage money. I've done my fair share of buying dumb stuff. And wasting millions and millions of dollars <laughs> that we've made over the years, just you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses and doing all that kind of stuff. So all of my goals now on the financial side are really about building wealth and um, you know, making sure that the money that we're making, we aren't spending on dumb things. We're taking that money and investing it. And then if we're gonna buy something, if we've got a, a goal, you know, like we just sold a big boat that we had and we've got another one that we wanna buy but we're not buying it. We've got a delayed gratification process in place where we probably won't buy that for two years because mm-hmm. I got a two year big investment goal. And what I want those investments to turn into that I'm not buying that new boat until I can buy it out of 10% of what my investments have made. Mm-hmm. And that's an expensive boat. So you can imagine what that two year goal is on the yeah. financial side. Um, but it's just a different way of thinking. It's really training your brain to think about wealth. Because when we can make the shift from, I want to use my money to buy stuff mm-hmm. to, I want to use the money I make to create wealth. That is a mindset transition that most people don't make. And that's why their family for generations is broke and poor, just like mine has been. Mm-hmm. Because no one ever teaches us how to really do that and how to make that shift. And then we watch the internet and TV and we're like, oh my gosh, I got to have a nicer car. I need a nicer right. house. I need a, 
I got caught in that, you know, and I think most people do. And our, our industry and network marketing is probably the worst at that. I mean, how many people do we know that have made $100,000 a month and they're broke, mm -hmm. you know, and if they, if they didn't have that check coming in and I've been there right. and it's awful. It's embarrassing, truthfully. Yeah, it's, it's we, we always just we always used to joke, you know, they can afford the Porsche, but not the gas to put in it. There you go. Right. <laughs> you know, okay, so and literally, I've been there. Like I've been there. I had the nice cars, even paid off, but didn't have the income to like use them. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I got to say, as a fellow boater, I'm very impressed that you're putting off the boat. That's that's what you 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 touched the sweet well, spot. We, I mean, it's so really we did, hard. To <laughs> we, did sell the big boat. we did sell the big boat and got a little wake surf boat, and uh, so we can still get out on the water. And we got a bass boat as well, but we got rid of the big, you know, cabin cruiser and yeah, waiting for the next thing. That's good. The, the, I'm impressed with the weight. <laughs> uh, bo boats are one of those toys that still has a real deep <laughs> deep hole on me. Hey, you said something that that I got to touch on, and I was going to end, but I, I got to touch on this real quick because it was just so smart. Everybody throws around the term uh, traction marketing now. It's like that's the that's the new hot term that everybody fancies around. But you explained it perfectly because you said you have to become attractive. I've never heard those words come out of anybody else's mouth. Everybody wants to talk. I mean, attraction marketing. I'm pretty sure Dan Kennedy invented that, you know, what, 30, 40 years. I mean, like attraction right. marketing has been around for that term is not new by any stretch of the imagination. But everybody in network marketing thinks they invented it. It's been around forever, but nobody ever defined it as well as you just did. Attraction mm -hmm. marketing is becoming attractive to your audience. Thank you so much for that. That was really hot. Cool. Yeah. Super important. Yeah, no, it's, it's people don't think that way. So anyways, Josh, thanks so much for being on today. This was so great. I, I love the fact that we talked about high-end theory as well as day-to-day -day marketable actions. You know, because everybody everybody wants to think big. Very few people get to follow through. And that's why we talked about the fact that, you know, it's the one percenters that really get to this point, you know, reach the top of the pay plan or anything else. And uh, I really appreciate the fact that you gave folks what they should be doing today if they join a network marketing company. So Josh Higginbotham, thanks so much for being on today, but I really appreciate it. Thanks, Melford. Great being with you. Thanks, pal. Have a great day.